Dum. Do you have a? Do you think you could find a MP3 or wave of someone going mayday, mayday? Just for some stupid reason, that just tickled me. You can do it in post, probably. Yeah. Okay. Probably. I mean, I found the record scratch thing in ten seconds. Mayday, mayday. Some old movie clip or something on on YouTube or something. Yeah. Maybe it's used in Airplane, the movie. Oh, good. Point. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Mayday! <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember if it's that the, phrase is used. The, he, the, he, he the, does do that? Okay. He's all like, and we could have a parade. And <laughs> Okay. I remember I, right, there's a... I don't remember that specific bit, that's all. But oh, here it is. I've got a memory like a steel thing. Condom? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not interested in chastity play. Mayday! Mayday! Mayday, what the hell is that? Mayday? Why, that's the Russian New Year. You know, we'll have a big parade and we'll serve hotter. To the Skeptic Wire. Mayday! 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 And hello. Okay, hey, today what? What? It's the 1st of May. 1st of May, 2013. And it's hot as hell in San Antonio. Yeah, it's like 86 degrees. Okay. Slight. <laughs> Way to cut me off of the knees there, Gary. <laughs> yeah, so for some people up north, they would consider it hot as hell. But for those of us from the south, it's a nice spring day. I hardly Freak. broke a sweat on my motorcycle today. Anyway, it is episode 108 of the Skeptic Wire for the 1st of May, 2013. I'm your host, Gary Lawn, and with me this week are Donald Swafford. Hello. And Greg Bride. Tiny bubbles, tiny bubbles. Really? There's no bubbles. There are no chimpanzees. We are made of bubbles. Are we? made of star stuff. Well, think of individual cells as tiny bubbles. No. No. <laughs> Why the hell not? But bubbles are tend to be air filled, and if your cells were air filled, you'd be dead, or yeah. just float. We all float down here. <laughs> okay, Stephen King fans will get that one. Oh, okay. Stephen King. Who the hell's that? Stephen King. Well, it's uh-huh. not whose birthday it is today. Oh, okay, no, so, no, we have a birthday, huh? Well, we haven't even asked how everybody's week was, but I'm not going to bother with that. We're just going straight into the birthdays then. Happy birthday, whoever you are. <laughs> wow, Gary's really angry that somebody has a birthday today. I'm filled with anger this week. So am I. Like, <laughs> just angry. angry. You're surprisingly chipper. Yeah, you know why? Because he's giving up the editing duties. <laughs> no, it's because you guys are full of anger. I am full of sleeplessness. 
So I'm full more, of that or, too. Or That's part of what's making me angry. Is it is it because we're so angry that you just seem chipper by comparison? It may be that, some of that. That that. But also, very good possibility. Just like people react differently to drinking alcohol. Some people are angry drunk. Oh, Some like people you are friendly drunk. Oh, you anything about that. Yeah, he sees the reaction. I've sees seen reaction. people drunk. Some yes, people are angry. Some people, Some people are happy You know drunk. what? Being drunk is an experience that you have to actually have yourself. Yeah, before, before, you, can, okay. before you can talk about it, you have to have been it, man. If you've never been there, you understand. I can observe. <laughs> Elmo likes to watch. <laughs> Okay, uh, so we have a birthday today. Yes, we do. May 1st, 1910. No guesses. Uh, well, no. Okay. Not uh, too many of my, my friends were born in 1910. In fact, I'll say pretty much about 100% of them failed to have been born in 1910. Yes, but yeah. how many of the birthdays of the last year or so that I've mentioned on this podcast have been personal friends of yours? Oh, like two or three, I'm sure. <laughs> And probably 10 or so who would want to be his personal friend. No, nobody wants that. Yeah. See? How do you you know? Here he goes. He's passing judgment again. Okay. I was not passing judgment about the alcohol thing. No, you know what? Okay. I normally do. I normally do. But in this case, I was not passing judgment. I was just saying that people react to alcohol in different ways. Sorry. So I react to sleeplessness. In slightly different ways than other people. Yes, you gain an echo. <laughs> I'm going to say, cool, you've cool, been cool, sitting cool. across from the both of us with that look of haughty derision that I usually give to people. And that... Yeah, I usually have that look. You've got the the pop filter in front of you, so maybe you just don't always really see the haughty derision coming from my No, gaze. I just really try not to pay attention to you. <laughs> yeah, she's usually <laughs> surfing porn during the podcast. How the hell did we get in an argument this quickly? <laughs> <laughs> Easily... You haven't had sleep. I haven't had sleep. I'm pretty sure that Gary hasn't had sleep. I mean, I know how grad school is. So there we go. Sleep. We need Dr. Darroway to come back on the show to give us some uh, psychological advice and autograph dildos. I don't have any dildos. (laughs) I don't need any. Well, technically, you kind of have one, but it's an organic one. No, I don't have any carrots in my refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of organic, but... So moving on, 1910, this <laughs> or person... moving back to birthdays. <laughs> this person was was past tense because this person passed away in 1986. Which would make them... Uh, dead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Now, I was going to say, otherwise he'd be over 100 years old. Like, 103 years old. Very good. Your math is improving, even though your calendar skills suck. (laughs) This gentleman was, well, I assume he's a gentleman. I'm not going to make any aspersions on his character. Oh, sure. Don't don't, don't asperse him. (laughs) (laughs) That's a word. No, I I will not cast aspersions on this person's character so early in the podcast maybe after you know more about him although aspersions tend to be negative and calling a person a gentleman is tends to be positive is yeah to be honest i don't know the definition of the word aspersions okay anyway and why are you using it because i know it in context well regardless of whatever else got cut out of the conversation that we just had this person was an astronomer a professor and a ufologist Really? This person 
was a scientific advisor to Project Sign, Project Grudge, and Project Blue Book. Mm, I'm familiar with Project Blue Book, but I'm not familiar with the names of advisors of Blue Book. Yeah, he he started out as just someone who would who came in to advise this Air Force study on the phenomena of UFOs to say, all right, based on the reports we get, how much of this can be traced to known astronomical events? He was known for studying variable stars and stuff like that, so he spent a lot of time looking up in the sky and would know what, what was up there, but... Did he have great success for doing that? Is he known um, for... for he, he was known stars? for... Being kind of one of the big debunkers of the, let's just call them all Project Blue Book type projects. But as he went on, and I believe it was somewhere around the 1960s, he started to become, it's hard to describe based on the articles or whatever, but he seemed to be slightly more credulous as time went on, in that he started out thinking, well, all these reports come in from Hicks, and they're out in the middle of nowhere by people who have never looked up into the sky, so they don't know what they're talking about. They must all be garbage. So I can just explain them all away. But when he started hearing that Air Force officers who were jet fighter planes or police officers or respectable people were reporting <laughs> UFOs... Who also don't really look up at the sky a lot. Yeah, a, a, a lot of people in who fly planes don't always know... Well, they're not always looking Everything at the sky. That's in the sky. I mean, yeah. above them, they're looking for things in front of them. True. Like so he, he slowly but surely became a little bit more credulous. Didn't come become a full out-and-out out kind of, yes, I believe there are aliens who have visited us, but he he did kind of trend towards the idea of being open to the idea that either these were extraterrestrial beings or extra-dimensional beings. He started talking about the idea that, okay. well, because if you've got a video where only one or two frames have a picture of a spaceship or a ufo or whatever it is then that must mean that it's flitting between dimensions <laughs> so one of those situations where someone who's trained in astronomy who looks at variable stars billions of miles away because he's an astronomer he's got a doctor in front of his name that's another clue of who he is that he would automatically not be fooled by anything in the sky so maybe he might be able to pick, okay, the person was standing here looking to the east or whatever, and on that day Venus was rising in the east. I don't know if it does or not. It was probably Venus what the person saw. But he wouldn't know everything about Chinese lanterns that accidentally get up into the sky. Or one famous example is he was giving a press conference about, I think it was a UFO up in Michigan or something like that, and he said a lot of these cases can be explained away in this one instance, by swamp gas. But he continued his sen sentence saying, that doesn't mean that all UFO instances are explainable by swamp gas. But the media ignored that second part and just said, Project Blue Book guy says it's all swamp gas. So started out scientific, became more and more credulous, which you wouldn't think would happen who's someone who keeps looking at all the various accounts and keeps coming in of things like, no full examples, no photographic proof, no physical proof, anything like that. I'm going to ask psychic intuition that his first name is Alan. Psychic intuition as in that you looked at the paper I had down on the table when we Yeah, were uh, and the, the, no, the fact I, that you're rolling it this way at me. So I, 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 saw, I saw an A in the name. Yes. His middle name was Alan. Oh, is okay. it Joseph Alan Hink or something? Or? I was thinking it was Heineck. 
H Y N E K. Heineck. Because he he was of Czechoslovakian descent, not Chechnyan oh, yeah. descent. <laughs> Czech Czech no, descent. No, behind. I was no, I was anglicizing it with Heineck, but. Well, we're from down south, so we'll just pronounce it whatever hell we want to. His name's Reginald P. Heineck. <laughs> Or the fact that J. Allen Hynek. Oh, J. Allen. <laughs> so yeah, Joseph Allen Hynek, who was born today, May 1st, 1910. He did some scientific research into UFOs and tried to be scientific about it, even going so far as to help start the Center for UFO Studies, SUFOS, I'm going to call them, but also became kind of credulous and a little wooey towards the later years, so kind of a mixed bag. Hmm. So if we were doing a web of trust thing, I would not know how the hell to rate him. On a scale from one to ten? <laughs> I'm going to give him a five. Yeah, okay. it's about where I was like. All right. So yeah, that's who was born today some 103 years, years ago. ago. <laughs> and uh, happy birthday, Mr. Dead Person. All right, well, we do also have actually a death day. The Herschel Space Observatory. Yeah, it no. gave up the ghost on the 29th of April. Basically, it ran out of coolant, which is kind of funny when you think that's in space. But they have to get it super cool. Yeah, it has to be as close to absolute zero as possible. But this running out of coolant thing, that was kind of a planned end to the mission. Yeah. They knew yeah. it was going to end. It was not like all of a sudden, oh my god, there's a coolant leak, coolant leak, eject the warp core! No, no. Uh, the, the observatory had what they thought was going to be three years worth of coolant, and it was going to die at the end of 2012, and it managed to go almost a full four years because it was launched May 14th of 2009. Awesome. So it, for a satellite that does science, it lived a rich and full life. Exactly. I was going <laughs> to say that. Oh, here's another cool thing. So they, they had a choice on what to do with it. They're regifting it, aren't they? <laughs> sort of, to the future generations. Because one of the things they could have done is slammed it into the moon. Holy fuck! Been, yeah, which would have been pretty cool. Yeah, that would have been awesome. But so it's that far enough out of an orbit that they could yeah, just kind of nudge it towards it, the moon? It's at a place called the Lagrangian points. That is the perfect point in an orbit of two bodies of mass where neither of them has a greater gravitational pull. I, I, from what I understand, granted I'm not an expert on physics, there are multiple of those points. Yes, but... So it, it is in one of those points. Because it's not just sitting there, it's actually going around the Earth. Because you, you've got, say, if you're talking about the Earth and the Moon, you have a Lagrange point between the Earth and the Moon. There's three of them between the Earth and the Moon. And there's also points between the Sun and the Earth. Right. Okay. So there, there's five Lagrangian points that they pointed out for the Earth and the Moon, and that is there's one between the Earth and the Moon, there's one just beyond the Moon, and there's two on either side of the Earth and the Moon. It look, basically, it looks like a peace sign, only the, the part that goes straight down goes a little bit further. And so if you look at the peace sign, along the circle of the peace sign are four of the five Lagrangian points. Except, of course, peace sign is circular and the Lagrange points, or the Lagrangian orbit is elliptical. Gotcha. There you go. So it was in one of those stable points where all they yeah. needed to just kind of nudge it in one direction, and it would have fallen eventually towards one of the objects. Right. And so what they did, because it was less expensive than slamming it into the moon, 
which I think would be fairly cheap, I guess. I think because you have to do a lot more calculations. They just shoved it into a sun orbit. And so what's going to happen is it's gradually going to drift away from the Earth in a couple of hundred years. Hence, we're going to catch up to it, or it's going to catch up to us, and they'll get this brand new satellite, which hopefully they'll be able to fly out to and, and reinvigorate. So they're pushing it away from Earth to kind of keep it safe from yes. all the junk that could get in our orbit, and it'll just eventually meet up with Earth later on. Yes. And kind of, oh, neat. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty darn cool. I agree. <laughs> That's the Herschel Space Observatory. Should we hold a moment of silence or something? Nah. It's going to have a lot of silence for quite a long time. <laughs> Plus the fact that it's dead. I know Actually, you know what? I don't know that it's necessarily completely dead. It's just the instrumentation that allows it to take the uh, pictures. So the satellite itself obviously still has communications and uh, rockets that it can move around. And I know some of the observatories that do the super infrared, really has to be really cooled observation, can still do other observations just not in that has-to-be-super-cooled range. Right. But so, apparently, this is so completely out. It was so specialized that they had to... That was all it could really do. Yeah, apparently. Oh, okay. They didn't really say on any of the places that I read up on it. To let you know how long it took to go from conception of the idea to it actually being launched, the European Space Agency first conceived of a... Far infrared and sub-millimeter telescope called FIRST in 1982. That didn't get on the docket as to being built until 1986, and it didn't start actually being built until 1993. So Decades from, in the making. Yeah, 1993 to 2009 it was being built. And they were coming up with new technologies and doing the testing and the whole thing. So it takes a long time for this to... So we need to start working on more satellites now. Right. And, and they are. I mean, we've got the uh, James Webb te Telescope that's going to be going up in 2015, I think. Right. And that's been decades in the making, too. So fund NASA stuff, please. Absolutely. What else we got? We have a Web of Trust? Well, we kind of have a Web of Trust thing this week. We've been trying to get back into the habit of recommending a website that you can go out there and rate on the interwebs. There is a browser plugin tool called Web of Trust which I believe you can download at mywot.com. That's weird that it's called Web of Trust, because we have a segment called Web of Trust, don't we? Yes. <laughs> That's what we're doing right now, Gary. Oh, no. Okay. You see this part of the movie that we're watching right now? That's yeah. now now. That's now. When did that happen? Just now. Just now? Yes. When was that? Um, that was now. before. It's now. Now is now, and then was then. Hmm. When did that happen? And oh, what will be, then. will be? Soon. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was really bad. It was really, really bad, yes. But fun. And we all joined in on it. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's why we're such good friends. <laughs> so if you go to mywot.com, you can download a version of the rating tool for your browser, and you go to a website and you'll see what other users have rated that website on kind of a five-point scale of red through green. Is this a dangerous website or not? So every once in a while on the podcast, we've tried to bring you a website to say, you know what, go look at the site, give them a rating, plus or minus, you decide. Well, apparently someone else in the skeptical activist 
world has decided that they're going to do something very similar. So if you want to follow skeptic action on Twitter, the plan is to every day post a website or two or maybe some other online simple slacktivist action that you can do to go out there and make life on the Internet just a little safer for your neighbor. Yeah. So uh, go and ahead. Yes, exactly. So go ahead, give Skeptic Action a follow on Twitter. And if you think something we've talked about on the show is worthy of rating for them as well, give them a tweet and say, hey, on the Skeptic Wire, they talked about this. Maybe you should have everybody else rate this as well. Are we going to try to avoid the same ones that she's doing? We'll see. I figure if they're really, really important, say Natural News or World Nut Daily or something like that, We'll both talk about the website and say, you know what, let's go rate this thing because it's that important. And I don't see a problem with that. The important thing is that we are all skeptics doing some action to lift all skeptical boats. And right. that is where the metaphor will end. Okay. Excellent. So follow them on the Twitters. Nothing on Facebook? Um, I didn't see anything on Facebook, but they have a skepticaction.blogspot.com kind of splash page to say what they're all about. And talk about some other tools that you can look into and resources. Okay. So, there was a lot of harumphing going on. Harumph, harumph, harumph. Because a draft bill in the U.S. Senate was being passed around for people to talk about and try and get into some form that may pass. It was put together by one of Texas's most lovely senator, Lamar Smith. Now, won $10 in a beauty contest lovely, or... No, I, I was using that in a sarcastic <laughs> manner. Oh, okay. because as is... in lovely, as in I can't believe he's that stupid. It's a good thing he's sort of pretty. <laughs> he probably... I don't know. I've seen pictures. He's kind of like... Talks, he talks yeah. well in public, apparently. He's at like a 5 out of 1 to 10. So, he... Put together this draft bill, calling it the, quote, High Quality Research Act. <laughs> and sounds good, right? I mean, yeah, well, it sounds good, but it's a Texas Republican, so it means the complete opposite of what it actually does. What was yeah. that bill that slashed environmental standards? It was called, like, the Clean Air Act or yeah. something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to read you the bill. It's actually fairly short. And again, it's just a draft. You're just talking about it right now. High-quality research. This is Section 2. Certification. Prior to making an award of any contract or grant funding for a scientific research project, the director of the National Science Foundation shall publish a statement on the public website of the foundation that certifies that the research project, one, is in the interests of the United States to advance the national health, prosperity, or welfare, and to secure the national defense by promoting the progress of science. Two, is the finest quality, is groundbreaking, and answers questions or solves problems that are of utmost importance to society at large. And three, is not duplicative of other research projects being funded by the foundation or other federal science agencies. And then it goes on to say about funding, that if it doesn't meet all of these requirements, the funding will go elsewhere, and that after 60 days after implementation of the funds, there has to be a write-up by the director saying that, oh, it follows the guideline set there, and then one after a year. Mind you, I'm not I'm a social scientist. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Is that what you're going to say? But isn't one of the hallmarks of science research that the experiment can be fucking duplicated? Yeah. <laughs> Not just can be, but should be. be. 
Right. Because you have outliers and, and stuff like this, and who knows, maybe the guy sneezed in it. You should have other researchers duplicate it. Mr. Joe Scientist, Dr. Joe Scientist, should be able to duplicate it in Washington, D.C., and Dr. Jane Scientist in L.A. at some research lab that's getting funding from the, non- the National Science Foundation should be able to duplicate it. The whole reason we found out that, well, part of the reason we found out that the Andrew Wakefield thing was complete bunkum was that people tried to replicate it, tried to replicate, retest yeah. his data. I, I was actually to... thinking more along the side of the cold fusion. Yeah, that's where I yeah. was going. If, if, if someone says, yeah, I did it, we don't automatically believe them. We say, hold on, let me hold try on. that. Give right. me your stuff. Let me try it myself. And the, the problem with this funding is that the duplication efforts wouldn't be funded, so you would just take their word for it. Which, you know, it's great if scientists are 100% above board and are, you know, not human and don't make mistakes. I I think a lot of this comes from the general misunderstanding of how science works. That it seems like Smith seems to think that I know that I want to invent cold fusion, so I am going to just do it. And I'm going to, I know the three things I need to research in order to make that work. You never know what you're going to need to have the next generation energy thing. So you have to explore all sorts of different areas of technology and science, whatever. It's like the famous phrase from Edison about the light bulb that he found out 5,000 ways not to invent the light bulb. I just also want to point out that it's Lamar Smith who, A, is not a scientist and is, in fact, a climate change denier. For some reason, is trying to pretend that he is a scientist. But let's go back to to the bill itself, or the wannabe bill. All three of these points are just not good. They're Uh, jargony. Yeah, I like how the first one starts. It's in the interest of the United States, fine, advanced national health, prosperity, or welfare. But then he had to add, and to secure the national defense by promoting the progress of science. Well, that can be taken as, oh, it has to be defense-related. Not necessarily. The point, no, my my point is that the bill... Put it, and to secure the national defense by right. promoting... Right. It says, to advance national health, prosperity, or welfare. So it has to do or. one of those three, and as <laughs> well as securing national defense by the promotion of the progress yeah. of science. It is, like I was saying earlier, it's a very narrow view of what science can do and, and how to do research. Exactly. It's like the idea of, well, why are we studying how honeybees mate? That's just silly or whatever. Well, right, if we understand it, how how honeybees mate, then we might be able to understand a little bit further the colony collapse disorder, which is causing problems with all our produce. Right. If the bees collapse, then so collapses a whole lot of our foodie infrastructure because exactly. bees pollinate. So they're very important to our national defense, I would think. Right. But some conservative thinker looks at a paper and says, why are they studying, studying bees' mating processes? They look at the surface of the study and thinks that's just silly. I think that should be cut yeah. without thinking beyond, without understanding that the basic science goes beyond what you're studying in that one point. Absolutely. It and all adds up together to say this is the body of science that right. we know. Well, it's right back to the case of Sarah Palin where she was bitching about something. The I think it was fruit flies. Fruit, fruit flies. flies. Oh, there's no possible implications of this for human research and all of that. Yes, there was. And scientists got out there and was like, this is why we're studying this. All she saw was they spent X amount of money studying fruit flies. I have a better idea. And her little brain went, 
There's no way we can do this. I have a, I have a response to that, though. Okay, if they're against us studying fruit flies, then they must be for us studying directly on humans. And consequently, I think Lamar Smith and Sarah, Sarah Palin. Palin and Michelle Bachman and all the other people who are scoffing at basic science should have to undergo tests, DNA <laughs> tests, laboratory tests. The one problem I see with that is that humans reproduce very slowly compared to fruit flies who it's every day. You know, we're not going to kill them. <laughs> I understand that. We have lots more cells than the but fruit But when fly. you're trying to dis- – fruit flies specifically is used a lot in genetics research. Sure. So to study mutation over generations, very difficult with long-lived species like humans, elephants, and uh, turtles. But with fruit flies and flatworms and zebrafish, who are some of the more common ones, they gestate a lot quicker. So it's easier yeah. to study, especially things like generations and genetics with that. That's the only problem I see with the thank study. You, thank you for bringing, bringing reality Otherwise, to my joke. Otherwise, <laughs> let's test on them completely. Yes. Let's move on, and we can look at Section 2, the finest quality groundbreaking and answers questions or solves problems that are of the utmost importance to society at large. Who's going to decide that? Yeah. Politics, according right. to... What Lamar Which Smith means thinks. that we would not be able to spend money on studying the climate. Right. Because obviously God's not going to destroy the world. Or Was stem Lamar cell Smith research. the one who said No, he that? didn't say okay. that. But. Right, but climate change would be out. Stem cell research would be out. out. Evolution. Evolution would be out. Probably a lot of the brain initiative that President Obama is... Obviously alternative energies would be out because lobbyists then control... What gets the funding? Well, they probably already do a little bit anyway, if not a lot. So oil would be able to control, oh, no, 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 we got plenty of stuff. We're just going to you know, keep doing the same thing over and over again, and eventually we run out, and we polluted the atmosphere, and we got nothing to fall back on. Phil Plate in his blog today about this situation, more of a rant than a blog, but still a <laughs> blog post, specifically mentioned Lysenko in Russia, who back in the days of Joseph Stalin his work was advocated because it towed the party line, which set the Russians back many, many years on genetic studies, which led to famine because an ideological scientific, quote-unquote scientific study of wheat generations and how to produce better wheat was followed rather than the evidence right. because they wanted it to be true, yeah, which meant that, yeah, which meant that they couldn't, feed their people so the idea of politics controlling science is very very scary yes not a good idea politics and people who are just not trained in science because the best part of peer review isn't that it's just i'm asking my neighbor to read through my physics paper it's i'm asking someone who's trained in physics yeah but to read through the physics paper to see where i can improve where you know maybe you want to rethink this come back and ask for funding a little later did you did you just say that wheat doesn't follow ideology no it does not <laughs> maybe the sun but that's <laughs> so the sun. he also smith I mean yes okay chairman smith not lasenko he specifically asked about five specific national science foundation grants which is fine even though no senator of the National Science Committee has really ever done that. That doesn't mean you can't do it. Right. right. He wants an explanation about how these grants adhere to the National Science Foundation's intellectual merit guidelines. One is 
Picturing Animals in National Geographic, 1888 through 2008. Right. It's hard to get a sense of what the study is about just from its title. Right. Exactly. But you're also looking at extinction and, and things like that. And Possible how, other species. And, yeah, or seeing how herds may have thinned out over that year. The next one years. was specifically about comparing the histories of conservation. It's got that horrible C word, conservation. The main common denominator to all five of these studies that Smith asked about were they're more specifically in the social studies, the mm -hmm. social sciences. Oh, like well, we can't do that. Sociology, yeah. psychology, that sort of thing. The idea that studying anything other than the hard sciences, quote unquote, is right. useless to American culture is ridiculous, especially when you have people saying, oh, we shouldn't control guns because we have to focus on mental health, if we're ignoring funding behavioral research and sociological research, that's not focusing on mental health. Maybe that's kind of a side tangent, but it's, well, it shows these, a lot of the contradiction. These are the same people who wanted to stop the National Institute of Health from keeping statistics on gun violence. Exactly. I mean, they're basically, they want to ignore problems and not even know that there's a problem. Right. Yeah, you know, they want to remain ignorant in their little bubble. I don't know if it Makes was Smith mad. or Rep Colburn. Colburn, yeah. Who had, uh, previous this year, put in an attachment to a bill saying that I think it was the National Science Foundation was not allowed to fund anything to do with political science research. Yeah. Which would let out the third paper that was listed the International Criminal Court, and the Pursuit of Justice. Right. So These guys have never read the Foundation series. They could do so much. <laughs> Idiots. I know we're skipping one, but the fifth one, regulating accountability and transparency in China's dairy industry. That's the social interaction of how we are making sure that there's accountability and transparency in an industry, but it's about China as well. It's about understanding... Look at how many products we get from China. Over the past five years, how many times have we seen, oh, this product got pulled from China because of heavy lead in its production. This toothpaste, this dog food, this whatever is fucking poisonous. Um, Maybe you shouldn't use it. Right. There's the public safety issue, which you might be able to push someone with Smith about. But also the idea of if you understand how to talk to people about transparency and regulation, it can work better. So there's nothing wrong with understanding sociological research in order to make the government work better, in order to make regulation work better. Well, it's important to monitor and realize what other countries are doing industrially, because if you're tracking, say, milk production and something starts changing, or maybe nothing changes, maybe they're always putting out the same amount of milk, but they're population is growing, then you might have see a trend that some people are going to be undernourished or China can't possibly keep up with the, the problems. And that leads to opportunities for us, but it also leads us to say if part of their society is going to collapse, that causes international problems. And we as lay people are just reading the descriptions of these studies and we're just pulling stuff out of our behinds about what these studies could be about. Yeah. But so are people like Mr. Smith, the Honorable Mr. Smith, that he's looking at these studies and saying, well, I don't know what this could possibly be. You need to explain this to me, where the whole point of the National Science Foundation and its grant review process is a full peer review of 
anonymous reviewers giving honest feedback about, well, I have read through this study and I've looked at their numbers of what they're proposing, and I think that this is good or not. It already has been reviewed by people in the know in the industry, as opposed to some person who just was able to raise enough money to beat another person in an election. And politicizing science is scary and bad, just like we saw a few years ago when other climate science deniers were censoring science reports in the George W. Bush administration because they didn't like the politics of the science. Exactly. Hopefully, he'll get enough feedback realizing that this is not a good idea and that it can be either, I don't know, stopped or made into something that is actually useful. There already has been some backlash, I'll put it that way, against Smith's requests for more information from the NSF director and his proposed bill. Another member of the Science, Space, and Technology Committee, Eddie Bernice Johnson, also from Texas, said, what the hell are you doing? Essentially, you know, fired back another letter to Representative Smith and said, you are trying to undermine science in these ways. You don't understand where the science is from, so don't pretend that you should decide what it should be. It's great that other senators and representatives are fighting back to say, no, no, we need to keep science neutral and separate, kind of a separate wall of separation there, and keep just politics, politics. Decide to fund science and then let the scientists debate among themselves of, of what is good science and where are the best areas to look at. Cause because they it know. has worked for decades. <laughs> yes, occasionally there might be occasional graft here or there. You can't avoid that. There's always going to be a little bit of corruption in any system. But it's worked pretty well so far and has brought us some pretty good advancements, some pretty good science over the decades, and other people look to us for an example. So we'll see what happens. We'll so keep you informed. Write your representatives. And get yeah, well, involved. right now, again, it's just a draft, so it's not even it, – it's it hasn't been presented. I understand. But, but you can let your representatives know that you do care about science and that keeping politics out of it, as well as keeping religion out of it, uh, is a good thing. We agree with you, Gary. All right. Speaking of – A rare moment of unity on this podcast. <laughs> but speaking about religion and science, there was a news report – that the head of Adana's Health and Education Associations for Autistic Children in Turkey reportedly said that autistic children were atheists due to a lack of section for faith in their brains. He has since taken that back and said that it was, of course, taken out of context. But that leads us into a lot of autistic news that have happened this, this past week. Of course, I'd like to go on record that the, the person is wrong. There's data out there showing that autistic people are slight are more likely to be atheistic than the general population. That's not to say that they're all atheists, right. but there's just more likely. And, and some hypothesize that this has to do with the social interaction issues that come from being on the autism spectrum, that autistic people have a hard time conceptualizing the God as a person. Right. According to Femi Kea, who who said this, uh, he said, the message I wished to give was not about autism and atheism, but to highlight that these children cannot communicate, cannot form empathy, live in their own worlds, and are isolated. I meant that we should take them out of their isolation with proper therapy methods. In which order is to not make them believe in God. Exactly. <laughs> That's not taking it out of context. He wants yeah. 
to train them and increase well, their social development so they will believe in God. Exactly. Because they are broken. Yes. They are broken in some way. Yes. Congratulations. So that's good for the head of an autistic society to uh, think this. Right? No. No, it's not. No. It's not good. No, it's not. <laughs> but uh, there were a lot of things about autism in this past week. So what we got? Well, let's see. What do we have on autism science in the news roulette? Spin. What do we got? Uh, there's an autism blood test that is in the process of being developed. Maybe, hopefully, cross our fingers. The problem is that early studies have not been accurate enough. It was done with a very small amount. It's looking for an objective marker. They're trying to test it on children who, by the time that they're actually getting to this test, are already exhibiting the signs, and there's already that suspicion. So it's like the schizophrenia test of we don't have to have a fancy blood test when doctors can examine somebody and go, he's autistic, he's schizophrenic. Right, but these blood tests, they're looking at genetic markers of expressions of certain genes that are associated yeah. with autism. And if we can refine that test better and better, right now it's maybe it detects accurately two-thirds of the children who might be at risk. It could have false positives, false negatives. It's not really that great. But if they can refine the test, make it better, and perform it in tests on younger and younger children, you might be able to do a blood test on a two-year-old and find out, well, could they possibly have autism or develop autism Let's get them in rehabilitation now so that they can work on their social interaction skills now and improve them because that can only be a positive thing. Unfortunately, I don't know uh, enough about autism to say, does the therapies work? Do the therapies work? The earlier you get a child with autism into behavioral therapy where they work on social interaction, where they work on speech, eye contact, all that kind of stuff, the earlier the better. They may not be quote-unquote cured of it, but the earlier you get kids into behavioral therapy, the more likely they are to be able to interact with society better. Right, because autism is delayed development. Or no okay. development at all of social interaction skills and, and other Symptoms. Right, but and it's also a spectrum disorder, sure. meaning you can have a kid that just constantly got that look of haughty derision oh. on them. Kids who are able to function, able to make friends, have social contact, but they're just, quote, a little weird, a little strange, versus the full-blown autistic, doesn't speak, lives in his own world, for lack of a better word, rain man, who needs supervision and care. Yeah, the problem with any one blood test is that autism can be so varied, so you really have to diagnose very specifically where their deficits are. Maybe it's just in social interaction, they're great academically. Maybe they have academic deficits as well as social deficits and stuff like that. So you have to be very specific in how you're tailoring someone's behavioral intervention in addition to finding and diagnosing what their issue is. But a test like a blood test would be a good start. There's another article out there saying that we might have another early life indicator, very early life indicator, of whether or not a child may or may not have autism. Does it have to do with what the mother eats? Kind of. Kind of if you're one of those woo-woo people who eats placentas after birth. So there's a Dr. Harvey Clemen at uh, Yale University 
who decided to look to see if deformations in the placenta after birth could be an indicator of whether or not a child might have autism or might be at risk for autism. After birth? Examining the placenta after birth. Okay, that's, wow. that, I was making sure, not in the womb or... Okay. Right. So what they did is they took 117 placentas from newborn children whose older siblings already had been diagnosed with autism or were high-at-risk children mm-hmm. for autism and compared them to... 100 placentas of children who had no autism in the family or were not at risk. And what they found was those placentas of the at-risk children were more likely to have, quote, abnormal folds and abnormal cell growth in the placenta. Hmm. So it was an indicator that there was something biological going on with the placenta compared to the baby. They found that of the normal children of the not at risk group, they always had less than two folds per whatever area you looked at, where the at risk children often had two or more and often had four or more folds and had abnormal cell development, which meant that this could be a possible test that you could do after a child is born to say, could they possibly be at risk for autism? Let's start them on therapy now. Problem being, it's kind of an expensive test. It's about $2,000 each right now because it's very labor-intensive. You have to basically have a person with a microscope. It's not just a simple dye test or something like that. When I was reading through this, I was wondering, well, did they look at the placentas of the first-born children who had already been diagnosed with autism? I don't know if maybe there's something, quote-unquote, left over or something that led to problems with placentas of second and third children after an abnormal birth of someone who had been diagnosed with autism. It's a preliminary study. Yes, it just they studied a couple hundred people, but it was pretty clear in the number of folds and the number of abnormalities in these placentas of the at-risk kids that there's something going on here. So there's another potential for testing very early, which can mean the kid gets into behavioral therapy as early as possible. Well, that's cool. So neat science, and that is something that's being published in Biological Psychiatry, well, was published a couple weeks ago. Is there another one? Oh, we got a whole bunch. Actually, there is a vaccine. It is a carbohydrate vaccine against colostrium bulti. 90% of all kids on the autism spectrum suffer from chronic gastrointestinal problems. And no one's quite quite sure why. Right. Some people believe that these toxins and and metabolites are associated with the symptoms and severities. And what this vaccine is doing is it's targeting the polysaccharide carbohydrates. It's a vaccine. Right. That allows the body to target those proteins on the surface cells of that bacteria. But the research is pretty new, and they're talking 10 years for preclinical and clinical trials. So there's not going to be anything on this for quite a while. It's just, hey, we've got this idea, and we're going to try it. And this story was, let's just say, mentioned on a certain very popular skeptical podcast last week as one of their nonfiction or science fiction (laughs) categories. And the important thing to note is this is not necessarily a vaccine for autism, Mm -hmm. which is how a lot of people are trying to report it. It's a vaccine for a bacteria that 
happens to coincide with a lot of autism people. So it's not going to automatically stop autism symptoms, but it will stop a condition that seems to be associated with autism, this gut bacteria infection weirdness. It's also an example of this article of, of keeping a skeptical eye on headlines of what they're saying versus what the real science actually is talking about. Yeah, I can't trust the headlines. This this past week has been particularly bad about headlines, or maybe it's huh. just because I've been I've been out of the loop for a bit. While we're on it, there's a whole section now about Lyme disease causes autism. Oh, that's been going on for years. So um, everybody who has autism somehow had Lyme disease? In the study, which is a small study, it's 120 individuals, 70 of which were diagnosed with autism, 50 of which had no history or siblings with autism, and only one of the 70 had antibodies for the Lyme disease. Hmm. One. And in fact, there was a higher rate among the control group. (laughs) Error bars and stuff like that, because, you know, okay, it doesn't mean that having Lyme disease protects you from autism or something like that. Well, the quote... But it pretty conclusively proves that not everybody with autism has been exposed to Lyme disease. Right. It says, the, the quote is, effectively rules out the suggestion that children with autism are themselves disproportionately infected by or exposed to the bacterium that causes Lyme disease. Oh. That's pretty conclusive. Right. Despite it being a very small study. Yeah, but they basically... The, I, I don't know the, the details of who was talking about this, but it was some five or six years ago a small group of scientists said made this hypothesis that maybe Lyme disease and autism are connected, and a lot of people just latched onto it, kind of like people have latched onto the idea of vaccines causing autism. Right. There have been plenty of studies that have really debunked that. This is kind of another nail in that coffin. Right, but the, the idea that you're putting something in your body can affect you is a perfectly logical idea because obviously drugs affect you. So thinking that a vaccine can affect you in the same way on the surface sounds right because you're injecting stuff into your body when you're very young and who knows how that can possibly affect you. Right. At this point, the scientific consensus is that there probably is some environmental triggers or associations that may affect epigenetics in the mother or development in utero or something like that. But we just don't know what any of those are yet. And some people are latching on to either Lyme disease or vaccines and just running with it. Once again, you're talking about a very complex problem that's not just social. It's social, educational, language it's it's a, a a broad spectrum disorder right. but it happens and you, in the brain and you can't just sit there and pin i gave my kid the mmr he has autism now it's there's not one single factor that's going to be all like it's like cancer we can't just sit there and go this is what causes it there are environmental like you were saying there's all of these other factors and parents and i understand this as a parent you want to go my kid is broken I want to fix them. And when you have multiple things that are contributing to it, you can't always. And because it's very nebulous right now because science doesn't know what really causes autism. Because it's so vague of, well, maybe there's environmental, maybe it's genetic, we just don't know yet. 
that answer is very unsatisfactory to a lot of people. Yeah. The same reason why religion is very popular with the human community is that the idea of, well, I don't know what happens after death. I don't know what causes lightning or causes rainbows. Catch the, the idea of, well, let's figure out how we'll just make up a story caught on very quickly because that's what we are as We're weird human animals. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of storytellers, somehow I'll make that transition fit. We've talked before about some of the behavioral therapy sessions that kids who have already been diagnosed with autism go through that can help them develop better social skills and maybe also some of their academic skills. There was a very small study that unfortunately was funded by companies that want to put this product out in the world, but it was kind of interesting. They had about 20 children who were already diagnosed with autism spectrum, and they had them in therapy sessions, and half of their sessions... They involved a robot co-therapist. Hmm. So this was not just your tiny little desk robot. It was like a, a full big thing that costs, was it $16,000 each? That Not um, really a take-home. Uh... No, not so much. But definitely yeah. a big piece of equipment that a clinic could possibly buy one or two if they are focused on autism training, if this pans out as something that could work. And that's what this research is, is to do to find out, well, can this help? The idea being that the robot will interact with the child and be a lot more predictable and less vague than human interaction. Because mm -hmm. we humans, we give off a lot of social cues with our eyes, with our mouths, slight little Motion, upturn, yeah. um, a tone of voice or something where a robot is a lot more predictable and a lot more simple. It has a simple blank face of eyes and mouth. The kid can learn to look at them, that, that you're supposed to look at the face and, I, and, and interact that way, but deal with very simple interactions of, Hi, Bobby, how are you? I am fine. What did you do today? Eliminate a whole lot of the human variables and allow the child to have baby steps to get into how to deal with social situations with a quasi-human. Yeah. And they did find that it was a very small study. It was a very subjective measures, but they did see that the kids after the robot sessions had a little bit better improvement in their social skills, even to the point that I think one of the kids said, you know, hi, dad, how was your day after one of these sessions where before they hadn't had these kind of interactions so they can that's the thing about autism training is that you're training these kids how to be social. How, what are the social conventions so that they can learn from that and just have regular behaviors to understand? You always look someone in the eye when you're talking to them. Right. But, I mean, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence going around about autistic children being able to interact with the world when they're not interacting with people. Facebook is past week had this one about the 13-year-old girl who was extremely autistic, had all kinds of the, the breaks out, the couldn't speak, and they finally put her, somehow got her in front of a computer, and she can now talk, whereas she had no way of interacting uh, other than angry outbursts or whatever, and right. now she can actually type. Is this like a facilitated communication no, kind of thing? No, it's not facilitated. Okay. that's what I was worried about. Yeah, no, I, I thought that... The, well, I... It's augmentative communication, not facilitating. Well, no, she has to type it. There's no other human helping her right. 
but she's using a keyboard to communicate rather than person to person. Right, but there's and it's not just her. I mean, there's a couple of YouTubers that they don't show their faces, but they can get their message out. And there's also some bloggers who are autistic, and they that's how they interact with people is through the blog or through through tech. And so there's some evidence to show that this is one way to do it by simplifying things. Absolutely, yeah. Break break it down to its to its minimum so that they don't have to deal with like you said all the all the the, the, the person on Facebook can just They're deal with text communication back and forth where everybody has problems figuring out tone of voice on Facebook. You don't know if someone's being snarky right. or not, but if someone can communicate with someone who is on the spectrum and put in a smiley face and the person who is on the spectrum understands smiley face means I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. That is a simple direct social cue that isn't as vague as sarcasm in the tone of voice of a human being or you always have to read different people differently because Gary gets angry at me in a different way that Donna gets angry at me. Exactly. Well, in the same article, the Kelly the Robot story, there was, that's the name of the Ah, I didn't realize that was the name of the robot. There was an additional study where they talked about these 60 minimally verbal autism spectrum disorder kids that were given two play-based therapies and were given speech augmentation with an iPad. And they checked back with them at three months and at six months. And what they found was discernible was that they had more vocabulary than was expected and that they were quicker on the uptake in their conversational skills using this augmentive technology. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, we're getting more and more insights, I mean, yeah. which is to be expected and hoped for, that we wouldn't just be the same place now yeah. that well, we were 10, yeah. 15 years ago. Well, I'm, I mean, I have a niece who has Down syndrome, and she uses augmentive technology. But she is leaps and bounds of where she probably would have been had she not had the augmentive technology. doesn't help that her mother is blind, so this augmentive technology <laughs> Helps really, them communicate. Yes, yeah. because... <laughs> They were going to try sign language with Eilish. That really doesn't work for Shannon. (laughs) (laughs) So today we were talking, we talked about a blood test to test for autism, placenta test to possibly see a vaccine that could control some of the bacteria situation that's for some reason associated with, with autism and debunking the Lyme disease thing, robot interaction with behavior studies. There's one we didn't even get to, which is talks about that's that there's a tiny little possible link between antidepressant or just severe depression in a mother and possible autism. It's tiny, like 0.6% increase in autism diagnoses in kids or stuff like that. There's a whole lot of research going on on what causes autism, how do you treat autism. It's a full frontal push on multiple fronts to say, how are we going to figure out what is autism? How do we treat it? How do we prevent it? And all of that, which means that Representative Lamar Smith, you can take your bill about (laughs) saying that the politicians are going to decide what science is is good is a bad idea because you need to try all these things because maybe, yeah, okay, maybe we didn't need a 500th study to say no vaccines do not cause autism, but maybe something in studying the biological nature that's going on with autistic people like this gut bacteria study or something will help us figure out something else. Whatever is that next step, that next eureka moment 
that Mr. Smith doesn't seem to comprehend that someone will figure out by accident. Yeah, exactly. And that's science, like they say, what, 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration. And so you, you have to do a lot of stuff that's middling at best sometimes to cover the basis of what a particular topic can do. I mean, engineers, like master's students, that's what master's students are for, <laughs> <laughs> is doing yeah. these small things that don't necessarily lead to directly to the big thing. But perhaps while doing that small thing and taking all the rest of it, you can make that big leap. Or you're just eliminating all the yeah. – you're, the Sherlock Holmes kind of – you eliminate all the possible until you it's reach what must, must be, be true. Yeah. Excellent. Um, unfortunately, we had enough topic to talk the entire time. <laughs> so we're not going to have uh, lightning round. Lightning round! Oh, no. oh sorry. Trigger. It's Trigger. <laughs> sorry. Trigger. Very Pavlovian of us. Yeah, no. <laughs> Oh, man, I just drilled on my laptop, too. <laughs> so um, thank you for joining us this week, kind listener. Kind of listener? <laughs> no, it's like it, it, binary. Either they listen or they don't listen. Okay. No, I don't like that answer. That. It's like saying someone's kind of pregnant. No, because I download the episodes and, and I just kind of sort of have them in the background yeah. and not really listen. Exactly. See, that's a maybe listener. That's different. You're on the show. That's a kind of listener. So kind listener. <laughs> and that those two or three dear listeners. Right. Yeah. We have deer that listen to us? Wow. That's two weeks in a row. <laughs> He'll be doing it next week. So thanks for joining us. Uh, we will talk at you next week. Bye. 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 Oh, geez, we sound exactly like you. <laughs> Try it again. Bye. 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 The Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the PodPosted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. Trust thing without actually doing the web of trust thing. I'm just going to talk about my friend Susan's skeptical action thing. Oh, I know those didn't give us a shout out. <laughs> she already does guerrilla skepticism on Wikipedia, so oh. it's not like she needed more to do, but hey, whatever. Mm-hmm. Nah, that's fine. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'm just being snarky. That's probably why we're not uh, so popular. Because we're snarky? No, because we uh, don't um, promote ourselves 24-7. We probably have shitty radio voices.
What are you talking about? Actually, speak for yourself. <laughs> one of our new listeners masturbates to our voices. I can no, actually, that. surprisingly enough, actually wants to be on the show one day. He's very snarky. Really wants to meet the two of you. I was all like, are you sure about this? He's all like, you guys sound like you've been doing this, you know, for five, six, seven years. He's like, you guys are so comfortable with you. He's like, I really love listening to you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, cool. I was all like, did you go back and listen to the early episode? (laughs) It's because we just talk. (laughs) Like you. Well, she I think she meant the collective you guys, yeah. like all yes. of us. Not just you and me. Oh. I missed that. Sorry. Racist. Well, no, because she first said <laughs> he wants to meet us, too. And then said you guys. And so I was like, I was just assuming that that followed. He's like, and why? He knows her. He doesn't have to meet her. He's met her. Yeah. <laughs> He's a good... But we are nothing without Donna. Thank you. I'm the podcast. I mean, I do have stuff going on outside of this. No, no, you don't. (laughs) With all due respect, Donna. (laughs) So either one of you, can you watch my dogs from the 11th through the uh, 21st, I think? It's a week. A week and a half, you mean? It's a week and a half? No, it's a week. 11 to the 21st is 10 days Unless my math is suddenly incorrect. And Your math is incorrect. <laughs> uh, sorry, it's the 13th through the 20th. Okay, that's more like a week. What did I say? 11th through the 20th, or 21st, or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah, that would definitely be. <laughs> <laughs> I just said so it wasn't her math that's correct, it was your calendar reading skills. Oh, actually, I'm coming back to the 21st. <laughs> <laughs> Because um, I'm going to just take care of my dog all month. <laughs> <laughs> and then the 30th, 30th through the 2nd. Well, I guess I can do that, sure. I'll do something nice for you someday when I have money. <laughs> so you won't. <laughs> <laughs> hey! <laughs> yeah, that's probably accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you. I'll, I'll I'll leave something in my will. Oh, will you? <laughs> <laughs> my living will. I'll put you in my living will. So I can make you die if I want to. <laughs> make you die. That's to make you die. Odd phrasing. If I am yes. If if the the if if the plug has to be pulled on me, I will allow you to choke me to death. <laughs> Do I get the option of using a pillow if I want Whatever. to? Whatever, sure. Yeah, we can do uh, one flew of the oh, cuckoo's ooh, nest thing. Ooh, ooh, or, or the mob kind of like hold your nose with my fingers and cover your mouth with my hands. So, yeah, just kill me. Whatever. Stab me. Ooh. Preferably a non-painful death. But at that point, presumably, I won't know. Yeah, and or you won't know if I know. If you're kind of on the <laughs> yeah pulling up, if you're on like a ventilator and I cut your throat and you just bleed out, yeah. as long as it's not painful, as in with like a Hello Kitty knife or something like that, then yeah. that should work fine. Wow, you're really getting into this. <laughs> I hesitate to think about the gleam in my eye about. Ooh. Yeah, some, Ooh, something to get very bright over there. <laughs>
This halo around my head. I get to kill Gary. I'll be your your god, Godleberry. Well, apparently now we're in competition with dogma debate, so. Competition? Sure. I thought you were just advising them. I was, but, you know, now that, that we're on speaking terms and kind of friends, um, now we have to fight. So we've given up the whole idea of challenging atheist experience to a mud wrestling competition, and we've moved on to challenging Yeah, we're just going to give a smackdown to dogma debate. Yeah, uh, all 6,000 of their followers. What kind of competition? Is it going to be ping pong, or are we sticking with mud wrestling or jello wrestling? Well, they, they have some difficulty because they're not all in the same place like we in the atheist experience are. They're kind of spread around the country. So so we can go around state to state and pick them off one by one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I was thinking the three-legged run race. Run, race, race, three-legged race. I can do that by myself. <sighs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah, look at him patting himself on his back with his dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's technically not a pat, but okay. <laughs> it's more of a F flagellation. <laughs> oh, great. I got Harpo all excited. Oh, that, <laughs> that, that uh, was phrased incorrectly. And yet, it was still funny. Yep. Don't make me push the microphone into your face, Donna. Be good. <laughs> now we've gotten violent. Okay, move on. 1910. The guy. I'm trying to figure out a good way to flow back into the conversation. No, I'm not certain there is one. <laughs> there isn't. Just pick up and move on. <clears throat> well, regardless of whatever else got cut out of the conversation that we just had, this person was an astronomer, a professor, and a ufologist. Really? Yes. A, a studier. A, a studier? Yes. Sure. A he, he is a studier. Uh, he wa Fuck. Crap. <laughs> God bless it. When he was a motherfucker. This person, <laughs> excuse me, puberty strikes again. <clears throat> Holy shit. <laughs> what else we got? We have a web of trust thing. Well, kind of. So, um, just staring at the box in Donna's hands, sorry. Um, it's really scary. <laughs> really? Really? Yep. <laughs> Childish humor. Okay. So, Web of Trust? Certification. Prior to making an award of any contract or grant funding or grant funding for a scientific research project. project. God fucking damn it. No. This is your fault. <laughs> Me? What the fuck did I do? It's, it's, it's contagious. High quality research. Certification. Yeah, that's not doing it either. Yeah, but I can cut one.